electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thank you, Deirdre. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner, the great rate debate. We're getting some mixed messages from the Fed. Are they hawkish? Are they dovish? Does the market have it right when it comes to the rate hikes ahead? And are the risks now more to the downside for this summer rally? Watching the markets today, they recently, about an hour ago, took a move to the upside. Plus, Apple, less than 5% from its 52-week highs, are higher highs ahead. And what does it mean for the rest of tech? We're going to debate that and much, much more with our investment committee today. That includes Bryn Talkington, downtown Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, and right here with me at Post 9, Jim Labenthal. But first, let's get a check on the markets this hour. As we mentioned, stocks taking a move to the upside just about an hour ago right now. With the exception of the Dow, still fractionally lower. We're seeing the S&P up also fractionally. The Nasdaq up just over a quarter of a percent. The Russell 2000, the best performer so far. Rates right now at 2.853 for the 10-year. And this is where we begin. Jim, you're right here with me at Post 9, so let's start. We had the Fed minutes yesterday. What was your take from it? Did you get a clear picture of where the Fed is? Hawkish, dovish, aggressive? Pivoting, what did you take away? I did not take much away from the minutes, and that's specifically because we know that the Fed and Jay Powell have now gone to a data dependency stance. And in that data dependency stance, it doesn't really matter what they said a month ago or two weeks ago. It matters really how the data comes in. On that front, by the way, I continue to be encouraged. It's day class A to say this, folks. I'm going to say it. I think the probability of a soft landing is going up. Why do I say that? What we still see in the economic figures today and this week, things like the Philadelphia Fed survey, uh, industrial production on Tuesday are nicely positive. Yes, the Empire State was negative, but there's more positives than negatives. Jobless claims still hovering on an initial basis at this 250 level, which in an absolute sense is just fine, and the continuing claims are hanging in there. So, Frank, the minutes didn't tell me that much. It's the data dependency going forward. I look at inflation. I see it coming down. I see the labor market hanging in there. And ultimately, where I come from or where I get to with this is that the onus of proof, the burden of proof, is now on the bears to make their case. The balance between positive news and negative news has shifted to the bull side. All right. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're talking to Steve Weiss, but before I get over no, to Weiss, no, before I get no, over to no. Weiss, I'm going to go over to you, Josh Brown. I gotta, I've been tipping my hat to you all week. You're the one that really pointed out here on this show earlier this week about the K-shaped recovery when it comes to consumers. Some of the inflation that we haven't seen ease really comes to housing. The Fed reiterated their desire to get inflation down to 2%. Right now, we're at about 8.5%. What did you take away from those Fed minutes, considering that some of the stickiest inflation housing is really impacting a lot of those consumers on the bottom end of that K? I'm with Jim in terms of uh, the the limited usefulness of the Fed minutes. Mostly, what that what that uh, does when it comes out each time is it reinforces what everyone already thought. So it's like a uh, it's it's like a uh, an ink blot, and we all read into it what we want to read into it. If you're ever looking for some great comedy, go back and read the Fed minutes from 2018 
when they were trying to shrink the balance sheet with uh, QT and raise rates relentlessly um, and see how that turned out. So I don't really worry too much about it. The existing home sales number is notable. So it dropped 6% in July, which is now the sixth straight month of declines, uh, the slowest pace of sales. You have to go back to November 2015, outside of the actual height of the pandemic. And the reason why that's so important to keep an eye on is the multiplier effect there. Um, so while it is slowing uh, in terms of transactions, prices are not coming down. So existing home sales are still higher than 10% year over year, which is way too hot if the Fed is really going to get its way in the most important component of the inflation data. So it's nice that you have some cooperation with gas prices coming down, of course. Uh, put a pin in that because this, uh, this fall, we know that uh, Putin is going to start playing games with gas supply all over the world. But fine, we'll take that. You're still not getting what you need in terms of cooperation from overall financial conditions and from owner's equivalent rent and housing prices. It's very, very slow to come down. So far, you've slowed transactions. You have not slowed the price and what it costs to be in a home. And I think that that continues to be problematic. And it's a very big part of the economy, not just the selling of homes themselves, but all of the related and ancillary business around that. So uh, I think that that's going to be a continuing issue. It is not doing what the Fed needs it to do. And you had mortgage rates back off. So if the Fed is, is talking hawkish and putting through um, some of the biggest rate hikes that we've had to put through going back to 1994, but financial uh, conditions are still easing, meaning, uh, meaning we're, we're getting the cost to borrow come down and the stock market is flying, it prolongs the cycle. It makes the Fed's job harder. It's not helping that everybody is now trying to trade in anticipation of the dovish pivot. So that's, that's where we're stuck right now. Um, I think one of the most notable things going on in the market overall, outside of energy being back to outperforming, is just the incredible strength in Apple. And Apple now 7.5% of the S&P. Alone among the fangs, it is the only stock that continues to grow in terms of its importance to the index. Yeah. And that stock, jo I Josh, think, is masking a lot of weakness. So we're going we're to Yeah, Apple well, I won't say later. much more about that. Okay. Right. I won't say much more about that. Let me wrap up. Look, look, this is, in my view, if you look back over the last year, and I've said this before, this is not the moment to uh, get FOMO and want to play catch up and, and start putting on aggressive long positions. When you've got the VIX down around 20, that has historically been a better time to calm down, not get excited. And, and that's where I think we are today. All right, Brent, over to you. Any big takeaways from those Fed minutes? No, I mean, I think it was a big nothing burger. I mean, they said, you know, we have, we're going to act with resolve, but at the same time, data dependent. I do think what's, what's still incredible to me is, you know, the Fed has, I think, close to 400 PhDs working for them. So I would call it one of the most well-funded hedge funds out there. And still, it's so incredible to me that looking historically, they've engineered a soft landing, which means raising rates and not going into recession under 10 percent of the time. I agree with Jim that the onus now is on the bears to, to refute what the market is saying that, you know, the, I think the market is saying inflation's easing, the Fed's going to pivot, and we're going to have a Goldilocks type economy. But really where I question that is 
If you go back in time, the Fed rarely, if ever, stops quantitative, stops tightening when CPI is above Fed funds. And so you could drive a truck through that. Even if CPI comes back in the latter half of the year to 5%, Fed funds are going to be still well below that. So I, I am in the camp that the Fed is going to be persistent person hand in the market, whether it's quantitative tightening, which is going to stop, and or raising rates. And so to me, thinking that we will raise to all-time highs by the end of the year, although that could happen, I just feel the probability of that is low just because, to hit on one thing Josh talked about, you know, the housing in the market, that owner equivalent rents is literally, they call, they make us, they call, they call people at their homes and say, what do you think you can rent your house for? And so we all, we all know that we're undersupplied in housing. And when you're asking people who own a home for 30 years, what can they rent the house for? It's just bad data. And so I think that inflation is going to stay sticky, not only from energy, but from that owner equivalent rents, which literally do, they're doing surveys that you would think they'd be doing in the 70s in 2022. And so I think, um, I, I'm in the camp that I think there's a wide range of outcomes and that housing is going to keep inflation much higher than people think. All right, Weiss, came to you last on purpose. Uh, you know, Jim's right here. He basically called you out and kind of called out your bear case. Are you still holding on to that right now? I, I don't feel Jim called me out. I, I have no idea what he's talking about, that the bears have to prove their case. I don't even know what that means. So here's what I tell you. Here are the facts. The facts are that you've... the. The facts are that you've got a Fed that's got one objective in mind, and that's to slow the economy. To say all of a sudden they're data dependent is ridiculous. They're always data dependent. They don't pull it out of their butts and say, we're going to tighten right now. They're looking at the data. So that's always going to be the case. So the market multiple right now is 18 and a half times. The consumer is not in great shape. As a matter of fact, consumer discretionary earnings were down 18 percent in the second quarter. And we've heard from Walmart and we've heard from Target. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to use words like day class A. And I appreciate Jim being on the show today. Whoa. I can only imagine as usual table, his usual table, Laberna Den must have been booked. So thanks. Thanks for taking the time <laughs> to join us. But but the market is the market is benefiting from looser economic conditions than what the Fed intended. And that's because they've cut back on the issuance of supply in treasuries, which have caused the market to then go and buy treasuries and artificially delate, de, uh, deflate interest rates. That's going to end September. So we can party on for the next couple of weeks till we get into September. And forget about the seasonality of it typically being a tough month and October being tough, because the markets are down marginally despite them being tough historically. But that's when the Fed really starts pressing on the gas, on the tightening. And that's when the tightening that we've seen so far starts to impact. So the Fed's not going away. And what Bryn just talked about, inflation's going to be stubborn. So if inflation's going to be stubborn, the Fed's going to be stubborn as well. So look, the market's had a great recovery, phenomenal recovery. I've still got my exposure on. The only thing I saw was the SMH. I'm going to, uh, you know, as we get closer to September, I'll be pairing it back. All right, well, we're going to talk chips a little bit later. And before this turns into a Comedy Central roast, Jim, I'm going to let you respond. We've got we to get moving, so it's got to be right. quick. Look, all I'm going to say is I hear, what, I hear what Steve's saying. I listened to Brian Cornell, CEO of Target, yesterday, saying that the consumer is in great shape. I listened to Jamie Dimon last week 
say the consumer is in great shape. Listen to the airline CEOs, the, the casinos Which CEOs consumer? say the same thing. Um, I don't know who just <laughs> yeah. said whatever, but the, the, what I'm saying is I've, I've got it, all of this data. I've got all of this data on one side from the people who are running companies saying the consumer's doing great. And I got Steve trying to prove the bear case saying the consumer stinks. I'm sorry. I'm going with what I hear from the, the CEOs. Uh, the consumer's not doing great. Well, what you heard. Hold on. Jim, Jim, what you heard. a different Steve. Right. Jim, what you heard from Brian Cornell. Let me just finish this for What you heard from Brian Cornell, I don't know how you can trust it. You heard his quarterly outlook four, four times in a row, and they right. missed. I, I, I mean, have inventory levels that high. Flimsy. They're not. I find, I find your argument flimsy we if you're going to say you don't believe Brian Cornell. It's like the same thing where we say, well, the analysts are all delusional because we disagree with them. I like the facts of what Brian Cornell said same. yesterday. Frank, we, back to you. Because it plays into your narrative. Let's, let's keep it going. All right, let's bring in senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. Steve, can you bring order to this panel? No. We want to talk to Fed a little bit. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Steve? <laughs> and I was trying to think if, uh, if, uh, if um, I, Scott is the judge, that makes you the, the you know, law and order. I think you're the constable, uh, Frank. So I'm trying to be a bailiff just at, be for at Nick. best right now, Steve. But let's bailiff. get back on topic for a minute. Yeah, a bailiff. <laughs> Um, so let's get back so, on topic. You know, for a I, don't, I don't obviously agree. It was a, it was a no, I, I don't agree. It was a nothing burger in those minutes. I think I think you need to step back and say, the market was uh, pretty much braced for a, a hawkish redirect by the Fed. The idea that the market had uh, taken off from Powell's um, press conference with the idea that there was a pivot. A lot of analysts, I think the market was positioned for the idea that the Fed would come back and say, you know, wait a second, there has been no pivot. But there wasn't as much of a hawkish redirect as was expected. In fact, there were some dovish elements that were introduced. And, uh, you know, Steve is right. Uh, Steve Weiss, I think, is right. And I don't want to get involved in the, in the Weiss-Leventhal uh, uh, smackdown there. But, but he's right about this idea that the market financial conditions have eased while the Fed uh, is trying to keep them tight. And so if I could, I just want to show you this um, uh, uh, comment here from Evercore ISI about what yesterday's minutes mean for next week's Jackson Hole. And I think they would maybe cause you to stand up and take a look. Uh, uh, what, what it says is uh, the minutes raise the stakes further in the Jackson Hole with markets less well-braced for a hawkish message, but also more primed to rip further if Powell fails to push back. So the stakes are really high there next week for the message from the Fed. We'll have a bunch of, of Fed presidents, as you know, Frank. Uh, and, and so uh, whether or not it's a consistent message, are there some out there who think, you know what, the danger is rising that we go too far? Uh, are some uh, clinging to this other comment in the minutes that maybe the effects of, uh, of financial tightening are happening more rapidly in the economy than previous cycles? All of that argues for less Fed, even while the Fed, I think, as Josh was saying, does remain squarely focused on the idea of bringing down inflation. So, Steve, by the way, when you said Steve is right, I thought you were talking to the third person for a minute. That's just the way this show's going. But on a serious note, um, when we're looking at the <laughs> I'm not data that, points not right that now, vain, Frank. <laughs> we're seeing PPI go down, CPI go down, PCE, you know, regulating a little bit. Um, obviously, we're going to get one more cycle of those reports, not before Jackson Hole, but before the September meeting. Yeah. Um, can can more downward trends, can that actually influence Fed policy? Do you, uh, do you have any insight on that? Because we're not going to get to 2% in the next I, I, month, I, certainly. No. 
Good, good call on that one for sure, Frank. Um, I, I can give you some insight in that it's not enough. I mean, we had one good month, PPI and CPI. We have seen prices paid come down in some of the uh, um, uh, manufacturing surveys, some of the Fed surveys that are out there. But the Fed's going to want to see two, three, probably four months of data. And let me just, uh, I pulled this quote, not really to embarrass the chairman, but, but to show you that he may be reluctant next year. Take a look at what he said this time last year at, the, at Jackson Hole. Incoming data should provide more evidence that some of the supply side demand imbalances are improving and more evidence of continued moderation in inflation, particularly in goods and services prices that have been most affected by the pandemic. And I was just looking it up when he spoke. The inflation rate at the time was was a welcome 5.2 percent. We give uh, something for that right now. So I think the chair is going to be looking a little bit more right in front of him than he is further down the road. Uh, as to the data and the outlook for policy. A little chase. Steve Leisman keeping that Comedy Central roast energy going on Jerome Powell there. By the way, don't miss Steve next week live at Jackson Hole for CNBC's coverage of the Fed Summit. That starts on Thursday. Uh, Steve's going to have all the coughs, all the spits, every detail from there next Thursday and Friday. Steve, thanks a lot. All right, let's bring in our halftime headliner. Joining us now, Victoria Green, CIO of G Squared Private Wealth, a Forbes top advisor team. Vicky, thank you so much for being here. Happy to be here, Frank, though. It seems a little feisty today. It's, it's a little feisty. It's a little feisty. I know you're down in Texas. You do it bigger in Texas. So I'm expecting some big energy on what's going on right now, Vicki. Um, but I want to start off with the Fed minutes. What was your takeaway? A hawkish, dovish tone? Did you see any trends that you think are going to move the markets? No, I think everybody like grasped onto that at some point we're going to ease. He didn't say 2023. He didn't give a, a signpost that just said at some point. And I think the doves are a little in front of themselves right now. Just because inflation didn't go up from an already bad number doesn't mean inflation is good. You had one month. It was stable. Yes, we've seen uh, gasoline prices keep coming down, but it's not like we're in a good inflationary picture. Look at Europe's print right now. Look at what's happening in the UK. Look at food. Look at shelter. Uh, and so I, I tend to agree a little bit more with Steve that the consumer's under pressure and they're spending on credit. They're, they're not in great shape. So I think they, the doves are, are, are kind of a little in front of themselves. I think they're, they're reading the tea leaves a little bit too much. They're going to tighten. Look at the dot plot. The dot plot says through 2023, they're still going to hike rates. So everybody anticipating that come, you know, May, June next year, we're going to start cutting. I think I think you're not looking at the data that the Fed's looking at. So, Vicky, i got to ask you, and this is the question that seems to be the question of this month in August. Do you believe what we've seen outside of today? Today might be an outlier, but are we seeing a bear market rally? Or do you believe this rally is real? And when you say that, are you looking at technicals? Is there something else that you're looking at to support your argument? You know, and I think this is the toughest part of being an investor. I still think it's a bear market rally, but that line between conviction and stubbornness and stupidity is really, really tightrope right now. But I still think it's a bear market rally, and I'll tell you why. One, we never had a full capitulation. We didn't have a lot of 90% down days. We didn't have sell everything. Everybody kind of hung on to their, their, their winners. They hung on to their apples. You didn't see just the sell everything mentality that typically comes with capitulation. Number two, it's very, very uncommon to have these V-shaped recoveries. Yes, we had one on the, the, the heels of the 2020 low, but that was a very different pandemic driven. Uh, and this is, is something that I feel like the market's acting like we're coming out of a recession and not like we're already sitting at three and a half percent unemployment, which most likely is going to come up. And the Fed is going to have QT and liquidity is going to get a little bit tighter. So I feel like the market's ignoring what's coming down the pipeline. It's ignoring the bond market. Look at the inversion. I mean, if you look between six months and 30 years, you got like 10 basis points.
difference between the six month and the 30 year. And then your 210 is almost 37, 40 basis points inverted, your 510. And so if you look at what the bond market is telling you, what the yield curve is telling you, this rally is definitely in front of itself. And I think we're going to reverse. All right, we're going to get to your stock picks, Vicky, before we let you go. Agree, first I couldn't one, agree more. Oh, got a cosign there. This is the first moment of agreement on the show, I think. Uh, Vicky, let's get to your stock picks. Um, no, let me give another Costco. one. I agree as well. <clears throat> <laughs> it's like a mutual admiration society that quick, Jim. Well, I like the energy she's bringing. You yeah. didn't even need to encourage that. I mean, yeah, it comes great. right with no. it. Vicky's got what it. What do you, what do you, what do you want to listen to? Yeah. You want to listen to the CEO of a retailer, or you want to look at uh, the severe inversion in every pair uh, and, and dot, dot plots throw out? If you went by the dot plot last fall, they thought they would hike rates once this year. So forget right, about just, that. At this moment, just, we just want to hear Vicky's stock picks. Trust so we, the money. We got to stop the pile in for a second. Vicky, let's get to your stock picks. One of them is Costco. Um, give us your thesis. How does inflation impact Costco? So first off, Costco is a, a very well-run company with, with their Kirkland brand as well. They're already a value discount. So yeah, they have inflation. They're passing it on a little bit to their consumers. Their customer base is so loyal. They're a 92% membership renewal. They have 116 million paying members. They make $4.1 billion off membership fees alone, not even stepping in the store. They've seen good traffic. Their margins are a strong 11%. And we feel consumers are driven to Costco because of its value it provides. I mean, where else can you get a like 30 pound tub of mac and cheese that obviously we're gonna need here in the second half. So I think Costco is just a very resilient stock, well done. Uh, it's also 73% of its revenues is in the US. It's almost 85% plus with the US and Canada. So it's a little more insulated from dollar shifts. So if we see the dollar come back up because its revenues are mostly generated in the United States and North America, it actually may benefit from a stronger dollar, unlike some of the other retailers out there. All right, one of your other picks is IBM. I want to get to your last pick, though, Chenier Energy. Yeah. Um, tell us the thesis behind that. Obviously, the energy trades in focus a lot of macro conditions that could increase demand. So I think energy security is the name of the game here. And we see countries that saw what happened and what is happening right now in Europe, and they say, we need to ensure we have energy security for our country. They're seeing great demand in Asia. Chenier produces about 11% of global LNG, and they're just a well-run company. They're, they typically operate at a 93% rate, well above the 80% operating rate that most other the companies run at. So they're a well-run company in a growing market. 70% of their revenues are going to Europe and their sales. They're good at trading. Their marketing is strong. They, they're crushing their expectations. I can't wait to see their new capital market expectation plan. They're going to probably increase the dividend, increase buybacks. There's a high probability they may make investment grade soon. And I think this market is growing because they're well, well positioned to pick up what Russia is going to lose in the global LNG trade. And so they're, and then they're going to get their uh, continue to invest in Corpus Christi, probably their stage three. And so they're continuing to grow in a growing marketplace. So what's not to like about that company? All right. Natural gas up 7% week to date. Victoria Green, thank you for your picks and your insight. Come Always. over to you Happy now, Happy to Josh. be here, Frank. Thank you, Vicky. Uh, come over to you, Josh. You actually told us about Chenier Energy earlier this week. Um, are you still as bullish on this stock as you were earlier this week? So I put this on at like 140, uh, anticipating the breakout. The breakout happened. This is one of the best charts in the entire U.S. stock market right now. I, I don't know that it continues at the pace it's been going. This stock is up 30% over the last month. But uh, this is the type of name that you want to be in 
for the geopolitical uh, uh, storm that I think we all are aware is very likely to take place this fall. Um, when you think about how quickly this company was able to switch where it was sending its exports out of the terminals from predominantly Asia to predominantly Europe, and you look at the setup, and this is not just over a few weeks or a few months, but there's going to be acute need for, for liquefied natural gas for years, if not decades, not just in Europe and not just because of Russian aggression. This is going to be one of the big secular investment stories of our lifetime. Uh, and Chenier, I mean, there are a couple of other publicly traded names, but Chenier already spent $25 billion. Like if you were a shareholder in this company in 2013, 14, 15, 16, you had to sit there while they made those investments. Those investments now are starting to pay dividends, literally dividends. So I really like this, this story. I'm in it. I don't have a huge position here. I'm relatively new to it. But I understand why this could be a dominant energy story for a really long time. Yeah, certainly a stock to watch. Near energy up right now, 3% week to date. All right, straight ahead, Apple's big comeback. The stock up 35% from its June lows and less than 5% away from new 52-week highs. Are more gains ahead with an expected iPhone event? And what does Apple's move mean for the rest of tech? We're going to discuss that and much more. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to halftime. Apple's erased nearly all of its year-to-date losses with shares within 5% of a new all-time high. That rally helping to power the rebound in all the major averages as Apple's this largest single stock waiting in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. Josh, coming over to you. You own Apple. Everybody here on the investment committee does. But what do you make of Apple's comeback, especially with reports of an iPhone and Apple Watch event coming up in September? So what we know is that this has been a very tough stock to sell because every time you sell it, uh, you are trading against one of three counterparties. The first one is an index fund. Apple is in every single major index. It's a value stock. It's a growth stock. It's a dividend stock. It's a, a shareholder return stock. It's an innovation stock. So it's in the Dow. It's in the S&P. It's in the NASDAQ. It's the largest component of all three. So this is a this has really been a tough situation for sellers because if they're not selling to an index fund, they're selling to Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire bought four million more shares of Apple. Why not? 
in the second quarter, I guess just to top off their holding. And then the third potential buyer when you sell Apple is Apple itself. The buyback is like historically large. And there have not been a lot of opportunities where the stock has been down that much. And a lot of that is because Apple is not out there making massive acquisitions. Apple is taking a lot of their free cash flow and retiring stock. So when you have Berkshire, every index ETF uh, and index mutual fund, and the company itself taking your stock off of your hands doesn't leave a lot of room for this stock to post a big decline. As a result, relative strength for this name is incredible, continues to be. Could that change at some point? Absolutely. What changes it? I don't know. So, Brent, you own Apple as well. Surprised at all by the rally we're seeing? No. You know, if you look back, going back past five years, you know, Apple's up around 340 percent versus the NASDAQ's at 130 and the S&P at 70-something on a cumulative basis. So Apple has literally brought these other indices along with them. I think that that's going to maintain until it doesn't. It is reminiscent to the late 80s. You know, IBM in the late 80s, I think, got up to like a 6.5%, and it had been there for, for, for quite a few years. And so I think, you know, Josh hits on really all the salient points. It's like it's everywhere, and also we all own the product. So I do think that... You're not going to see any broad selling in Apple until something changes. I mean, the way I view it is I own Apple, but at the same time, we sold the Qs and bought JEPQ, which actually owns the NASDAQ 100. It sells 3 to 5% out of the money calls because I think in general, returns in technology are not going to look like they did the last five years. And I would rather have some of my return be capital appreciation and some of my return be premium from the calls. Brent, you also own Meta and Microsoft. So do you think that Apple's rally means anything for the broader tech sector? No, I mean, there. I think you're seeing, you know, I said earlier this year, I think that Fang story, that group of stocks is really dead. And obviously, you know, Facebook is, is reinventing itself versus Microsoft and Apple are just continuing to get stronger and stronger. So I think definitely, you know, security selection going forward um, looks very different, going, you know, very different than it did in the past because Facebook is still trying to reinvent itself. It's still cheap, and the jury's still out if their metaverse is actually going to monetize anytime soon. So I think investors are going to probably stick with the Apple and Microsofts, and just the value folks are going to be in the Facebook, you know, that Facebook type name. All right. Speaking of tech right now, we're going to be talking Cisco after the break. It's leading the Dow after beating the estimates that the street had for earnings. Jim, who weighs in next? Stay with us. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
Good afternoon. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The man accused of stabbing author Salman Rushdie at a speaking engagement is expected to appear in court today in Chattaqua County ahead of Friday's preliminary hearing. Rushdie is currently recovering from serious injuries at a Pennsylvania hospital and has been speaking with investigators. Russia's Ministry of Defense warning that if an accident occurs at the nuclear power plant it is occupying in southern Ukraine, radioactive material could cover Germany, Poland and Slovakia. Both Russia and Ukraine have repeatedly accused each other of shelling the plant. Ukraine claims Russia is using the plant as part of a nuclear blackmail strategy. And two tourists in Venice, Italy, have been fined after surfing on the city's Grand Canal. The mayor of Venice calling them, quote, two arrogant imbeciles who made a mockery of Venice in a tweet. The pair were eventually caught by police and surfers were fined over $1,500 each and had their board seized. So, Frank, next time you go to Italy, I know you want to surf, but you may want to hold back. I think I'll just boogie board. I don't know what the fine is for that. All right, our Seema Modi. Seema, thank you very much. All right, turning our attention back to tech, a very solid quarter for Cisco, pushing shares higher, beating the street on both the top and the bottom line of estimates and giving a stronger than expected outlook. Right now, Cisco, the best performer in the NASDAQ 100, are giving the biggest boost to it. Jim, you own it. What was your take on that report? So two things. One, on the macro, they said that enterprise spending is just fine. Uh, Again, this is another company that says they don't see any sign of a recession. Take that for what you want. You want to you want to discard it? Go ahead. But Cisco does not see signs of a recession. Um, specifically to the company, though, this is a company I've owned the shares of for 10 years. And during that time, on a total return basis, it has annualized beat the S&P 500. That's what I look for for this company. I don't look for it to do something like Salesforce, shoot the lights out. I look for steady performance over time. On that note, to anybody who's thinking about buying it, just remember, they had three disappointing quarters in a row and now they've just outperformed. This is exactly the time that you want to buy when it comes out of that malaise. All right, Cisco shares up uh, just about 6% right now. Again, the biggest, giving the biggest boost to the NASDAQ 100. All right, coming up, Brent making moves in this market, her latest buys. Those are coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime. The Investment Committee is making moves. Bryn, you have two moves in the commodity space. Yeah, so last week I bought Freeport Matmoran, so FCX, really a play on copper. So I think that, you know, China, the data, as we go into the election in China later on this year, which will make Xi Jinping leader for life, that election will happen, he will win. I think that the data will become less worse. And so there's a, there's a, an analogy in the market that when China gets a cold, copper gets the flu. FCX has gone from about 51 a few months ago down into the 30s. So I thought this was a good entry point. So what I did is I bought FCX around 31, but I sold the January 35 calls and I collected around $2.85 in premium. That's around a 9% yield for a little bit less than five months. And I still have really nice upside on the stock. So I think the trade as a whole makes a good total return if it gets called away. If it doesn't and I'm wrong, I've collected you know, over 9% um, dividends and then I can just sell calls again. But I do think the data out of China is going to get better because once again, although they're going through their own housing crisis, it's a manufactured economy and they can stimulate when they want to. And I think they will closer to the election. Brent, very quick, let's get to the other pick. BHP shares up about a half a percent right now. 
Yep, I, it's, a, it's really the same theme. I already owned it, I added to it. It's got about a 12, 12 plus percent yield. They're really heavy, heavy in copper and zinc. And so I think as both, both stocks will reflate at the same time, but I like the yield in BHP. And so I averaged down to pick up some higher yield and levered, levered to the same trade. All right, Brent, there you go. Uh, BHP actually moving higher since I said that. All right, let's get over to Dom Chu with now with some of the day's big earnings movers. Dom, over to you. So, Frank, let's start with the shares of Estee Lauder right now, which are trading higher after initially sliding in the pre-market. You can see that right now up about 2%. Profits and revenues there for its most recent quarter topped estimates, but its full-year revenue outlook was lower than analysts had expected. The company did cite a number of headwinds in in its guidance. It it cited COVID-related shutdowns in China, you guys were just talking about China, a stronger U.S. dollar, as well as a risk of global economic slowdown. So Estee Lauder shares up despite that. Now turning to BJ's Wholesale, which hit a fresh record high in trading today following earnings and revenues that topped analyst estimates. Those shares up nearly 8 percent. The Wholesale Big Box Club also posted better than expected comparable store sales growth that raised its full year financial outlook with executives there citing strong growth in its grocery business. And then a different branch of retail. Let's go to Kohl's, mid-scale department store. Shares are lower today, though off the worst levels of the session, as you can see here. The company beat estimates in this most recent quarter, but it also slashed its full year forecast, citing higher costs and increased promotional activity. So keep an eye on those Kohl's shares down 6% right now, Frank. I'll send things back down to you at the exchange. All right, Dom, thank you very much. All right, let's just go through these stocks. Weiss, I'm going to start with you. You've been quiet recently. What do you think of Estee Lauder? Uh, Look, Estee Lauder's a a high-quality company. It's a global brand. There are very few of those that are around around and do quite well regardless of the environment. So, yeah, they took guidance down a little bit. And, yeah, the stock's not cheap. It's never cheap. But it's a brand that's established itself that's always going to have a bid for it. And as you can see from Jim on the set, some people use a ton of makeup and others just use normal amounts. That's going to keep it going. So look, so I'm not buying it because of the valuation, but this is not one that I would sell if I owned it. Weiss, you might want to be careful with that roast and a lot of comments about that jacket on Twitter. Uh, Josh, over to you. What do you think about BJ's? Hey, hey, you know, let me just say one thing. Let me say one thing, if I can, Frank. The only reason I wore this jacket today is to keep the viewers' attention off of what Jim's saying so that they don't get hurt. (laughs) Whenever you start a sentence with the only reason, that's that's a sign there, Weiss. All right, Josh, on a serious note, what do you think about BJ's? Thank you. Yeah, Weiss, you look great. I loved you in uh, Caddyshack. All right. uh, (laughs) I want to talk BJ's wholesale. This, This... (laughs) <laughs> this is as beautiful as a, of a chart as you can find. It is fundamentally the right place in the economy at the right time. Obviously, the consumer is going to cling closely to the membership and the bulk ordering. And uh, this company seems to have figured out its uh, e-commerce attack as well. Um, so you have the fundamentals. And now look at this uh, immaculate breakout above 69.70. That was resistance when the overall market topped in November of 21. It bumped up against that level again in the spring, backed off with the overall market, and now it is above that level. There really is no resistance in sight. All-time record highs, big, convincing, high-volume day today. It may have a low-volume retest of that 70-71 level. If it does that successfully, I would pull the trigger. This is the type of stock, very small market cap, $10 billion, could very quietly roll up to 100 over the next couple of years. 
All right, stay with Halftime. Joining us next right here at Post 9 is Mike Santoli with his midday work. Halftime, right back. And welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us right here at Post 9 with his midday word. Hey, Mike. Yeah, Frank. Uh, good to see you down here. Um, I, you know, a minute ago, I was wondering if the uh, don't short a dull market rule was in effect, which is usually when we're sleepy, uh, you, often the market gets a little bit of traction. Uh, to me, it's hard to quibble with exactly where the market has gotten to and paused right here. I think that's one of the issues. Uh, people, you guys are talking about a soft landing. I think soft-ish, the way Jay Powell characterized it, is absolutely in the equation right now. It's not a sure thing. Uh, but we're halfway through the third quarter, exactly. Um, halfway through a quarter that a lot of po- people are saying is when the earnings estimates are going to have to start to collapse. Uh, I don't think we're seeing the coincident economic numbers that would suggest that earnings have to come down a lot when you see industrial production doing what it's doing. And you've got infl- the inflationary uh, kind of reprieve from energy costs still, still working its way through. So I think the digestion of yesterday's Fed minutes makes sense. There's, there's, there's cases to be made on both sides of it, but really no big surprises relative to some hawkish expectations. Yeah, that seems to be the consensus. So you say you, you can't quibble, but what can yeah. you do right now? I mean, you, are you just mad today? No, not at all. What, what I'm essentially saying is I get why the market is here. I take a little bit of comfort in the fact that there's a general reluctance among people to say mm-hmm. that the low is in right. and that you can believe that this rally has something behind it aside from being oversold and technical momentum and things like that. So I don't think that tells you the, bull, the bulls are right and it's up from here. Uh, we are still a little bit overbought in the short term, but I, I think it makes sense to kind of be here, stop and look around. Uh, nothing's moving that fast. Uh, that really, I think, is going to come as a shock just yeah. right now. All the index is off their highs, pretty much flat right now. Jim, what's your take? Well, first off, Mike, it's not on vogue to say soft landing. And you did say soft landing, uh, but you covered it with soft dish landing. Yes, right. I'll, I'll let it slide, okay? Uh, question for you. Uh, second half of August, volumes kind of dry up. Sure. How do you think that's contributing to where we are and where we may go? Interesting. I mean, you would think the market would be jumpier at this point in options expiration week. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's directionally relevant. In other words, I don't think that means, oh, we have to melt up because it's late August. Uh, I do think that maybe you have to apply a little bit of more of, a, of an overlay of, well, is this really what the supply and demand picture looks like? Because you haven't really seen it uh, be too decisive. Jackson Hole, there's going to be a quorum in the market, I think, to react to that if there's anything worth reacting to. So I'm not going to discount what we see here. I also don't think it's, a, it's an excuse for us to race higher just because it's illiquid. All right, Mike, we really appreciate the midday word. Right, thanks. thanks for being here right now. All right, coming up, we're going to get you ready for deer earnings tomorrow. Shares up over 20% in the last month. Jim and Weiss both own it. Debate coming up. <laughs> Much more on halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to halftime. As you can see, we're off the highs of the session. Deer set to report its latest quarterly earnings tomorrow morning. And Seema Modi, she's back with much more on what to expect. Hey, Seema. And, Frank, the bar has been set high. John Deere stock has rallied 22% in the last four weeks ahead of its report tomorrow. There's new channel checks from Evercore ISI suggesting farmer confidence rose in July as wheat and corn prices stabilized. 
The street is also optimistic that the credits tied to the Inflation Reduction Act will speed up Deere's fully autonomous battery-powered electric tractor to market. The current target set by the company is 2026. Unlike other industrials, Deere's got its eye on drones and robots. That's what got Kathy Wood interested, with a 4.6% weighting in the ARC Autonomous and Robotics ETF. According to Melius Research, Deere outspends its peers, Agco and CNH Industrial, by one to two times on research and development. But of course, Wall Street wants to see those bets pay off and better understand how it's tackling the ongoing supply chain issues that have plagued its competitors. 65% of analysts have a buy rating on the stock, average price target of $388, and right now it's trading at around $366 and change. Frank? All right, Seema, thank you very much. Um, here's one thing that Jim and Weiss agree on. They actually both own Deer. Weiss, I'm going to start off with you. What's your take on the stock? You're hearing Seema basically talk about the move to be a more tech-focused stock. Yeah, I actually, uh, when I own a stock that's done so well going into a quarter, it always gives me, uh, you know, some angst because the bar obviously is set very high. So we saw Caterpillar's numbers. Caterpillar's numbers were not good. They blamed the supply chain. Deer obviously has a lot less construction exposure than Caterpillar does, but could be an issue as well. To me, it doesn't matter. This is a long-term hold, and while I believe it's ahead of itself versus what the market's been doing, I still think it's got good upside. So it's a large position. Uh, it's not a completely full position. If the stock misses tomorrow at all and I get an opportunity, I'll add to it. All right, Jim. I, I agree with Steve. Um, it is very a la mode to uh, own deer right now, and for good reason. Uh, we know that agricultural plantings are going to have to go up with, uh, around the world with what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, and, and I will say that uh, Agco and Case New Holland had very good reports that augur well for deer. One thing to watch out for is they do have manufacturing in Germany. What they say about natural gas supplies there is going to be very important for the upcoming quarters. All right, Weiss, proud of you for not taking the bait. Final trades next on Halftime. Stay with us. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Time now for final trades. We have an energy theme going right now. Jim, I'm going to start off with you. Yeah, I, this seems very easy to me, ExxonMobil. It's a recent addition to my portfolio. We see that energy kind of corrected the whole space uh, earlier this summer, but now is coming out of it. So uh, I see the fundamentals and the technicals supporting it. Brent. Yeah, Devon Energy is one of the best companies in the exploration and production space. At $85 oil, they have a free cash flow yield of 15%, of which 75% goes to dividends and buybacks. Right company at the right time. Josh. Uh, IEO is flying off those June lows. We're going to be hearing about rationing of electricity and natural gas in Europe not too long from now. These stocks should remain bid. All right, Weiss, you got the last word. And again, you didn't even respond. Jim's over here speaking French. He didn't say anything. Yeah, you know, he's burying, he's burying himself. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I've got my, my dictionary out. I'm trying to figure out what a la mode, which I associate with ice cream, apple pie has to do with halftime report. But in any event, look, I'm going to cede my time to Bryn to repeat Devin because it's a bigger position for me than EPD, Enterprise Products, which has a great yield. And that's my final trade, also gas related. I think the energy sector keep going, particularly net gas, 
for the reasons Josh said earlier. All right, one last check of the markets before we, before we get out of here. Um, all the indices off their highs of the day right now. We're seeing the Dow and the S&P in the red, the Nasdaq fractionally higher, but it's basically flat. And that's going to do it for halftime. The Exchange with Kelly Evans. It begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.